Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Benderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey friends, you got MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well and enjoying the 50 most relevant for the season of 2023. It's... Getting pretty close to we wrap up the 50. Number 13 today. In two weeks' time, it's all over, my friends. But really, it's not all over. The preseason is just getting into very serious territories. Number 13. And joining us, it's been a minute since we've had a guest back on the podcast. And in fact, if you've been listening to the 50 most relevant, cast your mind back all the way to number 44. That was the last time we had this gentleman on the podcast. He was talking about LDU. He was in the States. He's now back home in Australia from the AFL Fantasy Fanatics. I got Bales. Hello, mate. How are you? Good. Thank you, MJ. Good to be back. As you said, it's been a minute. Uh, I didn't realize it's been so long since uh, we chatted, but looking forward to talking about a certain player that we're about to uh, chat from, uh, spoiler from my uh, Adelaide Crows. Oh, no. Look out. Here we go. Too many crows on one podcast is always a dangerous thing, friends. Uh, 25 years of age. He is a defender eligible option for us. And last year, some really nice, good ceiling scores. Against North Melbourne, where his top scores last year across the format. So it was a 129 against the Kangaroos in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. A 145 in Supercoach. While the season prior at his former club, Sydney, was his career-high scores. It was a 158 against the Cold Coast in both formats. So the boy has got some ceiling. Tons across the formats is his average. 100.8 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team means he'll set you back just a, a touch under 900k in AFL Fantasy and just a little bit over 910,000 in DT. For Supercoach, big average, 109.5. He was elite, wasn't he? Uh, and he's also going to come in at a price point that will cost you something, $603,100, just to really make it fun at the back end. But, Bales, there's probably not much more not just Crows fans, but fantasy fans and coaches and owners could have expected from Jordan last year. With the exception of the first half of the first game of the year where he played on the wing and he was nowhere near it, pretty much from that point on in the season, he scored like one of the most consistently reliable, durable, just brilliant premiums we had last year. Yeah, 100%. Uh, as I said to you off camera, I was at the game uh, with my mum and I was watching. I see this number 12 player. I'm like, who is that? I haven't hardly seen him. And then mum's like, that's Jordan Dawson. I thought, oh, crap, I forgot we even signed him. So, yeah, it was <laughs> after that first half that he really started to build into his season. And I did like a little stat on um, my DT Talk article that I did him, the deck of DT, uh, where I wrote about him. So from round two onwards, he averaged 106.5 from the game. So it just shows how much that... Um, that first game and sorry, the last games will take those two out from rounds two to round 22, how much better that he did. So he was just really consistent, wasn't he? And not only uh, in AFL Fantasy, but with Supercoach, the make it, uh, the kicking uh, accurately and hitting mm -hmm. uh, his targets obviously made his scores a lot bigger. So averaging near that 110 right near those premiums. Was he number three defender last year or number yeah, four? Yeah, so he's uh, the uh, third for, and he's in the top five across all formats, basically, yeah. for points and for averages, yeah. Yeah, and takes kickouts as well, which obviously is uh, fantastic for us fantasy managers as well. So, 
yeah, he's definitely one of those prime options that you have to consider the season. Yeah, he certainly is. He also ranks second in the entirety of the AFL per game for meters gained, third for rebound 50, sixth for kicks, and top 20 for marks. Now, a little caveat side note, he is ninth in the league per games for turnovers, but there's two key reasons for that. One, when Jordan kicks the ball, he takes on the game with the way he uses that left weapon. He's not taking the dinky little 20, 30 meter passes. He's aggressively opening up the game, moving the ball down for the Crows. That's one reason. The second, he's a part of a young, rebuilding, developing side. So issues and errors are going to occur in and around what he does. But regardless, Bowles has already touched on a couple of those things, but the average of 100.7 in Dream Team and Fantasy made up of 12 tons, four over 120, just three under 80, and already touched on a couple of those games as Bales referenced through the stats of where they came and top three for points and averages for all defenders available. A 109.5 average in Supercoach uh, was really, really strong. 13 tons, eight of those scores over 120. And there's some nice ceiling within these 120 scores. They're not just 121s, 122s. We're talking 134s. In fact, there was a three-week period straight after the buy where he goes 140, 134, and 144 in Supercoach. And by the way, that was off the back of five consecutive tons before that three-week stretch. So he's just incredible, especially in that format, but excellent too in AFL, Fantasy, and Dream Team. And just the one score, by the way, last year in Supercoach, where he failed to manage and getting over the 80 market, and that was in that final round of the year where Port really did destroy the Crows. The good news, I suppose, for us, Bales, is even though he's changed clubs just over the past 12 months ago now, we actually saw some of this fantasy scoring even when he was at Sydney too. So it's not like, oh, good player, bad team, therefore he's getting the ball. We saw him even at Sydney as they were rebuilding before in 2021. Good player in a young building team could still score well. So depending on what people believe the narrative will be for the Crows and their upward or maintaining their position on the AFL ladder, the fact he scored so well in 2021 should give some confidence, even more so to head into 2023. Yeah, that's right. And I was actually just getting up his uh, 2021 uh, averages. So uh, in uh, AFL Fantasy, he ended up averaging 88.8 and, then, and in uh, Real Dream Team as well. And then Supercoach averaged 101.1. So he'd already had that mid, little bit of a breakout in 2021. But then moving to the Crows, took that to another level, went over 100 in both formats, as we mentioned before, or just a tick over 100 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team and then nearly 110 Supercoach. So he did make that jump. I think because in being at Sydney, he was with Jake Lloyd, I don't can't remember if Nick Blakey started playing back in 2021, but they had a few mouths to feed. Yeah, he moved up there, to the wing the- after the bye, and, and he averaged 100 in the final nine games in Dream Team and Fantasy, and went at 114 post buy in Supercoach in, in 2021. So because of what you've mentioned, just the way they structured up, he moved up to the wing and did a really nice role. And then, as, as we've already highlighted a few times throughout this episode, done a really solid job at, at the Crows as a wingman. Did push down forward at times to give them an option, yeah. but really 
He's been at his scoring and most damaging best when he's off the halfbank for the Crows. You, you mentioned at the top of the podcast you're a Crows supporter. Some questions for you that maybe Crows fans have been keeping an eye on, but people that have been just following maybe a bit more broadly. There's been a big change to the Crows back six that's been mooted to come, and that is that Wayne Millerer is moving back into that back six. He's also quite a good user of the football, a little bit of a different player than Jordan, who's a really booming kick and intercept mark. Wayne's a little bit more creative flair, run and carry, but still a good user of the ball by foot. How do you see these two coexisting alongside a Brody Smith? It seems an appetizing weapon, but does this start to impact his ceiling potential? Um, yeah, I think it does. Uh, unfortunately, for people looking at Jordan Dorset, that is probably what, as I referenced, the 106.5 average from round two to round 22. That probably doesn't, I don't think, quite hits that mark because we've seen Miller in the past. I think he went at a pit, there was a, like a patch a few years ago where he went at near like 80, 85. So he can get the ball. And can. I think Brody Smith's not as much of a problem now i think he's moved to a bit more of a just a general defender that has got a really nice kick on him that can play more of a team role whereas dawson's now that that main industry out of that but miller are being back there they're gonna have to share that so does that mean dawson pushes more onto a wing does he that i've have heard rumors of he's had a few cbas in preseason in a match sim just gone in for a few so does he maybe play as a midfield rotation because i think crow's going to run a few guys through there so that's it just it is a little bit up in the air, a little flag, but I still do think you referenced it before. I think his best position is off that back flank, being that main distributor for Adelaide. But Miller there is a little slight flag to consider. Yeah, the need to make him float down forward outside of some in-game versatility and try to change a matchup, I think we can safely say that won't happen. That crows forward five or six. If the ball gets down there, that's as good as a forward five or six as we could kind of expect, not just in the sense of being damaging, but actually really good users of the footy. Tex, elite field and set shot at goal. Same with Darcy Fogarty, Rochelle, Rankin, um, Phil Thorpe, while a different type of player, McAdam. Th these are all a really nice forward six. So the need to throw him down outside of mid-game carnage, I think is gone. Miller are moving into the backs, adds some more run and carry and speed off the back line. And there is talk of Saligo moving less from the wing and starting to pick up more responsibility at centre bounces. The reason we mention all those is I think for the Crows' best chance of winning games and Dawson's best chance of delivering to the same level because I don't know if there's much more he can get up to. And he doesn't have to do much more. Remember, we're talking about a player who is coming off an average of basically a 110 in Supercoach and a 101 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team and is a top five defender across the formats for us. So he doesn't have to ascend anymore. He just needs to hold and do what he does. What you're looking for is this. If you're a Jordan Dawson truther, playing off halfback, being freed up, to intercept, and even if Miller is playing some run and carry roles with the ball, Dawson is still getting his opportunity at kick-ins, still looking to get the ball into his hands. And I think he still is the Crows' best player in the back half, arguably their best player on the list at the moment, even if they ascend up the ladder, win some more games. I don't see him not drifting away. 
the question I have for you, Bowles, is we saw McGuinness tag. Uh, no one really else. Um, we, we could expect a Ryan Clark tag. No doubt we'll come to him when they play the Swans. Uh, do you forecast many tags coming to him or any other halfbacks this year? That's a, it's an interesting conversation, isn't it? Because we saw the tags come more, we say every year, because they do come and vote for a patch of the season, but they were really prominent in the back half of the year. We did see a lot of the halfback guys get tagged. We saw Jack Sinclair a couple of times against Ryan Clark. We've seen Brad Hill a number of occasions when he has been at the back flanker on a wing. Tom Stewart got tagged as well against yeah. St Kilda for a really poor score. And then, as you mentioned, the Jordan Dawson against McGuinness. So, in terms of Dawson getting tagged, I have obviously heard a few people mention that, again, why would you tag against the Crows? But Dawson is such a damaging player that you do shut him down. It is going to be beneficial for your chance of winning, even regardless if Crows are near in the bottom half or that middle table. So Miller are going back. That also could be a good thing because if he's playing really well, then are you going to tag Dawson and tag Miller? We have seen Miller light up patches and he has been copped a bit of attention when he was back there. So it could be a positive, but I do anticipate a couple of tags coming. So is that going to affect his scoring? It can, but we did see against McGuinness, he had 10 tackles. So he can get to an encouraging okay thing. That's encouraging for you, isn't it? Is, while he is a predominantly kick first player and Mark second as the two columns, he scores the best. You do want to see a guy when he does get some negative uh, attention come his way. Can he score in other columns and avenues? And you beautifully highlighted there that he absolutely can. If you're worried about that Ryan Clark tag, you're worrying up to round 23. That is where it is. The second to last round of the year is when the Crows play the Swans. Other than that, you don't need to worry about it. Uh, out of curiosity's sake, if you think maybe the Crows improved from their eight wins last year in Dream Team and Fantasy, he averaged a 103. That's 3.5 points per game above what they average in losses. And his average jumps up 9.4 points per game in wins, up to a 115.5 in Supercoach. That's partly because of the Crows maintaining and holding possession of the ball. And him having a good game generally does mean the Crows are right in the mix. He's a fascinating one to look at. 21, 22% of ownership across the formats. But really, Bales, as we look to bring this episode to a close and we talk about draft in a second, it's a challenging makeup for how people are structuring out their back lines this year. Very heavy in the forwards, wanting to get some of that cream value of uh, mid prices and stepping stones through the mids. We feel light on for cows in the back line. And eventually we can only fit so many of these top end premium defenders in our teams. Where do you see yourself landing right now? Is there are others that, depending on formats, you're preferencing over Dawson, or is he someone you're happy to lock in and then build around? Well, good you mentioned the format thing, because Supercoach, I think I've pretty much locked him away as one of my two keepers, uh, the high price. I think Doherty is my other, other mm-hmm. one I've got there. So I'm happy to lock him away. Supercoach, I do like to have a, lot, a more guns rookies approach with a dabble of a few mid-prices. But this year, we do know we've got a lot of those mid-prices. So maybe I've got to take maybe one less premium and another mid-price. But in fantasy and dream team, that's where the conversation I think is a lot lot different because there's a lot of those names that are about 150-odd K less. You've got your Nick Dacos, you've got Hayden Young. Young, you've got Andrew McGrath that I haven't heard a lot of people speak about. And then you've even got Salem and Yo a bit cheaper. So... Yeah. Can you fit him in 
and get a Doherty and then fit a few of the other guys. So I think Doherty for me is more locked into my side than Dawson. Mm -hmm. Dawson's currently my D2, but if I want to take a heck and get a day cost in or a young or something like that in, I may have to, it might be Dawson that has to come out. So he's probably in the squad of what, 35, 36 players I've got at the moment that are my real targets, but yeah. it is interesting. I'd be interested to see where, you, where you'd be landing with Dawson in your side. Yeah, no, I, I don't currently have Dawson in any format at the moment, but that again has nothing to do with him and what I think he will or won't do. It's more around what I need from a structural perspective. And I think that's what a lot of people that you've highlighted nicely and, and why I'm right now not picking him is not because we think there's going to be a grand fall away from points or a drift away from relevance, or he won't be amongst the top three, four, five premium defenders of the year. I think we all think he'll be in and around that mix. It's not the point. The point is, how do I build this puzzle at the start of the year? What are the variations that I want to go with? And for some, they'll see a doc and they'll go there. Others will see a steward and go, oh, I like that early fixture. I like that buy structure of best 18. I'm jumping there. While others will see the value of Dacos, Young, and a bunch of others that you mentioned through there and go, I'll, I'll get him as an early upgrade. All of the processing is right. If you don't start Dawson, if you're not one of the tw under 25% that own him, um, that's okay. He's an upgrade target, but it, he's relevant because so many people own him at the start. So many people will be targeting him during the year and he'll be around the mark. He showed last year, he can go on stretches of runs, a big, big tons. And if he starts the season like that, it, it's going to hurt watching that unfold if you're not an owner. Well, he also did show us sometimes he can go on runs and be good, but not quite crack the big 110-plus scores and punish you for not owning him. So he's a fascinating player to consider across the formats. Before we wrap up the podcast, Bales, let's talk about where he goes on draft date. D1 unquestionably. What round are we talking? Is it different but depending on the format for you? Which round are you happy to pick Jordan Dawson in? So, yeah, the, I think it is dependent on what type of draft you're doing. So I was just in a uh, dynasty draft with the uh, Breaking Pod Boys, and I think I took him, and it was an 18-10 league, I took him in round two because mm -hmm. I just think he's that, in that prime age of 25, 26 that he's going to mm -hmm. go on that run. So, But season long, that's... I think Doherty, I think, goes back somewhere in round one, maybe very early round two if you can I get maybe first steel rounder, in round sure. two. But yeah. I think he's a first rounder as well. Um, so does Dawson go round two? Is there a defender running round two or round three? I think it's going to depend on your runs. But I'd be happy taking him in round two. If you've got your – if maybe your Dunkley, Taranto and Canelio wrote – Usually those guys have gone already. If a Ford run's gone really early, then you can probably take a Dawson, just go, I'm happy with the Golden as my F1 mm -hmm. and get Dawson as your D1 and be happy with that. But yeah, round two, round three, early round three would probably be where I'd be happy taking him, I think. Yes, I think it's super coach. We'll see him go earlier. Um, than in Dream Team yeah. and Fantasy, just because of that rewarding of the intercept marking, the elite kicking, the score involvements, these kind of elements. And I, I agree. I think in Supercoach, we could start to see him drift into that second round. 
People will jump in the second round in Dream Team and Fantasy, and I don't think that's a wrong spot. The sweet spot you'd love to get him is the third round. Early third is um, kind of the dream, and you could just kind of hope that people get worried about, oh, the forwards are running off the board. Oh, I've still got Laird and Millers and McRae's and Bonts, and all of a sudden, if you're in that early first round clump of selections, you could land yourself a Dunkley Taranto handcuff at the back of the second or third with a Dawson and then a premium mid. That's that's the kind of dream scenario where you land yourself there. He's a fascinating bloke to talk about. Now, Bales, where can people find you on Twitter and the great work you and your team are doing with the Fanatics? So AFL Fantasy Fanatics, you can just find us on Twitter at uh, AFL Fantasy Fans and then on wherever you podcast, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, wherever you can just find us there or catch us live Twitter space every Sunday night, 7.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. But yeah, uh, Twitter and Instagram and everything like that, it's just Bailey Ergang, um, I-R-R-G-A-N-G, for those people that don't know how to spell it. So that's where you can find me on all your socials uh, for all the content. There you go. We'll make sure we put all those links for you in the podcast description of this episode. So if you're trying to go A-R-I-N- TB. Don't, don't worry about it. We've got the links for you in the description of this, so we'll help you be able <laughs> yeah. to find uh, the guys and their great work across what they're doing the fantasy footy community. If you want to read the article on Jordan or any of the other players we've revealed so far from the 50, the good news is you can check them out online now at coachespanel.tv. Uh, while you're there, you can also sign up to our Patreon supporter group where for just a few dollars a month, you help support the coaches panel and we'll kick you some extra content, articles, podcasts, hidden groups, and a bunch of different stuff. Huh, it's a pretty good deal for just a couple of bucks a month. Well, tomorrow we depart the teens of the 50 most relevant and we get very, very close now, heading towards my top 10. Who's at number 12? Here's a little clue for you. At the start of the preseason, even before it, he was locked into every side. Then something significant changed in his team that put some doubt in people's eyes. But back again on the radar after some big news has come out from the club that means this guy is set for a big fantasy season. He's a big boy ready to take on some big responsibility. Who am I talking about? I'll tell you tomorrow in the 50 most relevant. Give it all, now give it true.